Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the show, Justin Sleva. Hey, Victor. How are you, sir? Great to have you here. Now, Justin, you've been based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for some time and focusing primarily on land development. Give us a little bit of your backstory and how you specialized in this particular segment. It's kind of a, it's a funny story. I think a lot of listeners can relate to this. It's, you know, we talk about side hustles and going through that. Me and my best friend, we had a side hustle doing Amazon, fulfillment by Amazon. He uh, came to me and says, hey, I want to liquidate my Amazon company so I can start buying real estate. And I said, okay, cool. We're going to buy real estate together. He said, no, I'm going to do it by myself. And I said, what? He said, but you can do it too. So we started sending out blind offers on properties and we started buying cheap properties for 250 bucks. And he bought his first three. And then I sent my first mailer campaign out. And me and my wife, we bought 21 properties uh, from that first mailer campaign in 2016. My previous experience, I was a, in corporate America. I was a chief operating officer, or what we call a general manager in the railroad, and ended up three months later leaving that and doing that full time. And that was 2017. So we've been doing this full time since then. Wow. Wow. Fascinating story. Not the typical career path into land place. No, no. It, typically, you, you kind of find a niche and you start honing in on it. This was definitely a side hustle. Then uh, I got that Friday morning call that says, hey, you know, you're, you're no longer needed. And I came home and I said, well, I've got this business we've just started and we've bought 21 properties. Do I have enough money to make it work for the next six months? And if I do, should I just give it a go? And so that's what I told myself. Every day I was competing with myself to make a little bit more money to last a little bit longer for that six months. Because I knew I could always go back and get a job, but you don't really ever get the opportunity to force your hand to see if you really know what you're made of. I love that story. So fast forward, we're mm -hmm. in the year 2021. We've gone through a pandemic, yeah. or at least partway through it. And you're still focused on land development. Now, of course, that's a there's so many different ways to focus on that. You can take raw land, you can carve it up, you can take infill land and reassemble it, you can take farmland and flip it. What what's your focus? So for us, my business is kind of two parts of it. Uh, when we first started, we started buying old ranchettes and bringing them to market. And we typically offer anywhere from 25 to 35 cents on a dollar. And we'll send an unsolicited blind offer with a contract to the owner and uh, let them say yes or no, whether they want to sell it to us. We bring it to market and put it on the open market to see what it brings back. And we realize the difference there, the arbitrage against it. Fantastic. So what is it that creates the incentive for someone to sell their property at such a discount? Is it the quick close? Is it because they need to sell? What's the what's the driver? It's a big range, but our typical client we buy from is a second generational landowner. So their grandparents bought it and left it to them or their parents bought it and left it to them. They have no emotional attachment to it. And we offer cash. We offer to close as quick as the title company will close for us. We're basically solving a problem that they didn't really know they had. They pay taxes, which are relatively low every year. And they get tired of paying them. So they get an offer from us for you know ten dollars or $20,000 and they look at it and they go, man, I could pay off my credit card, pay for the kids' college that year, take my wife on a vacation for this piece of property that my parents left me and I never use it. So we find that opportunity a lot. Got it. Got it. And these are parcels that have presumably been subdivided into halves, quarters, eighths, sixteenths as you go down through the generations. Yeah, sometimes. And uh, some of them have been left really cleanly. Like the, you get you know, if you can figure out problems like deaths on deeds and uh, things like that, you you see a bigger reward. There's more opportunity there. But 
it ranges from, you know, being a trust or grandma left it and they didn't will it properly and you understanding those laws and fixing them. On property, we've bought anything from quarter acres for 50 bucks from the state of Arkansas to 208 acres in Virginia from a family that just wanted to be done with the old ranch that they had there. And so we, we've done a big range there, but it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned that, but it, how it splits up as it goes down. But that's one of our biggest things is working through those processes and problems for those people. Often when you get multi-generational subdivision happening, you end up with sometimes stranded parcels that don't have direct access, direct frontage. You get easements happening between siblings that don't necessarily get along. You get all those complexities. How do you navigate that? That's a, so for us, we, on the front side, we will, when we get a property back or an interested party, we look to see if it's an undivided interest, which is a lot of times you'll see with generational land. They'll just, grandparents didn't really say, Hey, this is your five acres. They just say you get five acres of it and you don't know which one it is. So we either know how to partition it to get that taken care of, or we check it and make sure it has legal and physical access before we come back and, and finalize the deal. So we look at that up front before we call them back after we've, we've gotten their lead back in. In the urban area, when we talk about land, we often have the opposite issue. We often have an owner who says, you know, I've got a piece of dirt. You could put a 20-story building on here, and therefore my property is worth X dollars, when in reality it hasn't been rezoned, that entitlement doesn't exist. The analogy that I use, it's kind of like you've got taken an egg to market and you've priced it as a full-grown chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And maybe the egg will hatch. Maybe yeah. it'll grow into a full-grown chicken, but it's not a chicken yet. Yeah. And you wouldn't pay the price of a chicken if you went to the grocery store and bought an egg. Yeah. So how do you deal with those situations where a landowner has an unrealistic view of the value of their land? So that's the fun part about the way we send direct mail. So we send, like I said, we send a blind offer to them. So they're getting an offer from us up front. So they know where our price is. Now, do we renegotiate that? A lot of times they'll call us back and say, hey, Justin, you offered me 20,000. I think it's worth 25. We look at it. If we offered 20, we know it's worth somewhere between 50 and $70,000. So we know we have that room when we're looking back at the property. The lead becomes hotter because they know that price up front. So when they're reaching back out, we kind of can gauge that, hey, they're interested in selling. Now, occasionally I'll get a person, I offer them 20 grand. They say, I want a million dollars. We know we're not coming to terms. We're, we're so right. far apart that it's not even worth wasting our time and, and continually that talk. I love it. Now, are there any particular locations that you focus on, others that you choose to stay away from, be it for particular jurisdiction or what have you? Well, since we started this, we've bought property in 44 states using this method. So we've done it on a lot of places. Now, there are some states that don't allow us to use the government databases for direct mail. So we have to stay away from that just to keep legal. Louisiana has a weird flipping law that you have to hold something for nine months or they can come back and get you, get part of the profit there. So we, we try to stay out of that. But for the most part, when we're identifying a market, we have a property type. We've coined the bass boat property, which is the recreational property, price like a Harley Davidson, a boat, an RV, the place a person can go to on the weekends and come back to the office on Monday and say, hey, I was out at my 20 acre cabin property this week. It's not so expensive that it's going to drive them into a mad amount of debt if they owner finance it or finance it elsewhere. It's that property you could buy with your 401k loan. And those typically are two to three hours from a major metropolitan area and have some attributes that are recreational related, like trees, national forests nearby, lakes. And so we look at those type areas and we send out mass amounts of mail to them. Amazing. Now, often when we talk about mailing programs or internet marketing, it doesn't matter, any kind of outbound marketing, 
we talk typically about a close rate or even a, a click-through rate, if you will, Yeah. which in this case, it's not a click per se, but still they're responding in some way. Are we talking similar rates to what you see in digital marketing in that 1% range or is it less or more? So all in response I see on a campaign, I know if a campaign was a successful campaign on whether all in response, good and bad, is a two to 4% response rate. Now that's yeses and nos. Now, what I take to close is typically about one for high 900s. That means that I'm going to close those deals and buy them. So if I send out 3,000 pieces of mail, I should close on three properties. Now, that number changes as I go up in value on property. Um, I have to offer a little bit more money. But for what we call the Bass Boat property, and that's a $1,500 to $2,000 per acre market value type property, we see that pretty consistent. So for rough numbers, one for 1,000 is what we actually buy. Fascinating. Fascinating. So it's one of those things that where someone looking at it from a distance would say, man, one in a thousand, no chance in heck. I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to try. Yeah. But then you're saying, huh, it's only a thousand. Yeah. Cost me 500 bucks to make 10,000 or 20,000. You know, that's, you, you ask yourself, would you do that all day? We had a live event last year, uh, February 29th. So it was a week before COVID hit and we sent out 55,000 pieces of mail as a part of this live event. We said, you know what, we're going to go all in. We're going to prove this method and show it in front of everybody that came to our live event. And when we did that, our call rate was two to 4%. It was 2.7% was our response rate back. But since COVID happened during that time, people didn't know what to do. So they they stopped and they, they said, we're not going to do anything right now. We don't know if this is, we need this money for later or now, or if somebody's trying to take advantage of the pandemic. We ended up getting 200 and 80 yeses out of that mailer, where we ended up only closing on four properties, wow. which you're like, wow, that doesn't sound good, Justin. You sent 55,000 out, but off those four properties, we netted over 200,000 in profit. So the question, ask yourself, when you look in hindsight, you spent $30,000 in marketing material to do that. Would you do it again to make 200,000 profit after you paid marketing materials, bought the properties, sold the properties and paid all your closing costs and your realtors? Wow, that's that's amazing. Obviously, to scale to that level, you've got a system. Yes, sir. And is that how much of that is automated? How much of that just requires just hiring tons of labor? It's a great question, and I kind of I'm going to call it a hybrid method of that. We uh, we hire a bunch of labor, but they're they're professionals in their field. So we have a company in Florida that mails all our stuff for us, Rocket Print Mail, and we send them our data list for that we pull from a. a a source. We send them that. They send out our mail. The calls go into an automatic answering center that's called Pat Live that we use, and they're in Florida as well. Uh, they answer 24 hours a day, and they send us the notes with our script back. So they answer live for us. Then we look at our property and do our four checklists, our four-point checklist, and decide whether it's a deal or not. We contact the person, close the deal. As soon as we do that, we open title in that area. So now we've got professional mailer, professional call answerer, professional title company. Once they close it, it goes to a realtor in that area. So it's automated in some aspects, but each we have to move it through those sections. So you could do that with a manager or yourself because it, you just line up the next person. Hey, you know, the listing's ready for you, realtor and wherever, and we go from there. Fascinating. As you look forward, are there particular areas that you stay away from in terms of, uh, say, municipal boundaries? Do you, are you looking primarily just for rural land or are you looking for things that are even close to a city that may have maybe a little bit bigger lift in terms of value. Yeah, that's one of the big things. When we talk to commercial developers or people that are in that development space, they want to know about like the urban spread. Are you in the path of growth? Are you looking for that? Typical hold time for us doesn't fit our model. Now, 
our methods, you can do the same thing there. But for us, our average money into money out is when we wire the money to buy the properties about a hundred days. So money in money back out a hundred days later, we're, we've sold the property and we've moved on and it's went through closing on the backside. So the worrying about the growth potential in areas and looking for that, we could do that, but it doesn't fit what our current model is. We're kind of a churn and burn. Got it. Got it. So you're really just selling out onto the open market. It's not like you have a list of buyers that are necessarily looking to aggregate land or anything like that. You're just going out straight in the open market and selling at retail. Yeah, we do have, you know, as as you part of any niche or business, you you create kind of a, a little following and you have people that, hey, if you get something in this area, let us know. So we have that sort of a list, but there's nothing better than a local real estate agent that specializes in land in an area because they have years and they have a brokerage that have other agents that have a list. So you're tapping into the resources there and it kind of shields you as the investor. You're not, I don't have to spend so much time branding my company as I do is just cultivating that, finding that right person in that county or that state and knowing that's the person to go to. I love it. Well, Justin, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Our podcast is every Friday. It's called Casual Fridays REI. And you can reach us at casualfridaysrei.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook that way. And then my personal name, Justin Sleva, you can find me at LinkedIn, Facebook. I was going to say MySpace, but I don't know that it's still there. And (laughs) Instagram as well. Fantastic. Well, Justin, fascinating story. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Justin at casualfridaysrei.com. Listen to the podcast. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.